I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life for the rest of the week. We'll explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. We're in a really interesting place here today because we are uh, tomorrow starting the season of Advent. Uh, But today we're still kind of running off that high of having celebrated that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the King of the universe, that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he has been given dominion over all things, and he will rule the cosmos. So um, we, we recognize that, and this gives us, I think, one of the smoothest transitions uh, that that exists because here as we are celebrating that and we're looking and saying, yes, Christ is King of the entire universe. We also then look around us and we see that all is not right with the world. We see that, that his rule and reign while secured by his work on the cross is not yet enacted. We see that the world is still fallen and in need of a redeemer. And so the theological concept behind this is the already and the not yet, that we are recipients of the redemption of God already by Christ's work on the cross, having reconciled us to God the Father. And yet we are not yet the recipients of the redemption of God because we still experience human nature. We still experience the fallen world around us and uh, and sin and death while they have been defeated uh, eternally by Christ Jesus, we are still living under the effects of them here today. So Christ the King Sunday naturally leads us into uh, to the season of Advent. That's this beautifully smooth transition because the very fact that we call attention to, to Christ's kingship uh, points out the ways that we're not yet enjoying the benefits of that fully uh, today. And you'll notice tomorrow as we go into the season of Advent, um, the church doesn't jump ahead to Christmas. The church does not move in our readings quickly to the babe in the manger. In fact, it stays with this idea of Christ being the king of the universe and starts there saying, we long for that day to come. So the the church focuses our attention on the eschaton, this this end of all days scenario where Christ comes because we're waiting for the coming of Christ, right? That's what Advent is all about. But we start off Advent not waiting for Christmas, but waiting for the end of all days. We we wait for Christ to, to manifest his kingdom. So we spend the first couple of weeks of Advent really waiting for that kingdom to come and be manifest. And then we, by way of reminder, turn our attention to the incarnation. And we say we have a founded hope that uh, that all will be made right with the world because Christ came, uh, God became incarnate man for our sake. He came to be Emmanuel, God with us. And so as we move towards Christmas, it's not this, um, you know, happy-go-lucky music that, oh, we're just going to bounce around and and uh, put up the decorations and, and be joyful and happy from, you know, October 31st until, you know, December 25th, and then we're done. No, the church lets us sit with this discomfort of Advent, 
this discomfort of being between the already and the not yet, of knowing that we have been redeemed and that all things will be set right, and yet still experiencing the effects of living in a fallen world. I want to encourage you not to miss out on Advent, not to jump to uh, the holly jolly Christmas just yet. We don't like the the discomfort of looking around and, and feeling the, the pressures of life pressing in on us. We, we try to avoid those as much as possible. And we can do that in a number of ways, um, kind of an escapism of, uh, of happiness, right? If we can just be happy enough, we don't have to pay attention to the things that are uncomfortable or are frightening. Uh, and so whether our escapism shows up in uh, binge watching our favorite television show or uh, being around people all the time or, or filling our lives with so much noise that we don't ever have a moment of silence where we're reminded of the discomfort. Um, all of these things, while not necessarily bad and of themselves, if they distract us from the silence of being able to be in the presence of God, they become very bad things. So I'll, I want to encourage you to avoid escaping this Advent. And it's really hard to avoid that because this is the season of so much busyness where we're going to Christmas parties and we're uh, buying presents and we're, we're constantly bombarded with all of these different messages of uh, consumerism and of, of tradition and all of these other aspects of our cultural life. And yet the church is calling us to this penitential season to slow down to look around, to notice that things are off as a way of increasing our, our prayer that God would come and set things right. To say, I'm going to allow myself to notice the difficulties and the pain of this world so that I can turn and use that pain to call out Maranatha, that, that word that means our Lord come quickly. We come off of Christ the King Sunday, we acknowledge that he is king of the universe, then we stop and we look and we say, all is not right with the world. Lord Jesus, come quickly. For my wife and I, it's very easy for us to focus in on Advent because in this week between Thanksgiving and Advent, we mark the, uh, the anniversary of a miscarriage. And so we automatically turn to uh, to calling out to God for his mercy and, and asking him to come quickly and set right all that is wrong in the world. When we come back, my wife is going to join me and we're going to talk with Laura and Franco Finucci about their new book, Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage, available on our Sunday visitor. That's osv.com. This is such an important topic and this is the perfect time of year to talk about it. If you have experienced miscarriage or infant loss, know that you're not alone. Come over to our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Come and share your story and read the stories of others as we pray together. Maranatha, our Lord, come quickly. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. And tomorrow, uh, we enter into the season of Advent. Uh, We we have this period of preparation as we approach Christmas, as we approach the Incarnation and Christ being made present to us. And this is a time of year, as you've heard in previous, uh, if you've gone back and listened to the archives or if you've been with us for a while, I, I picture Advent as being the time that we make that that declaration and that acknowledgement that all is not right with the world. Something is off in the cosmos. It, it happened because of the fall, and we are feeling the experiences of that here in this season of Advent as we, together with creation, call out and long for a Redeemer, which we experience in the season of Christmas. Uh, today, we're talking about that in the context of a very personal story. Uh, my wife, Kristen, is joining me today. Thank you, Kristen, for being here. Thanks, love. I'm glad to be here. And we're talking about uh, the effects of the fall, the effects of uh, of all not being right with the world, specifically as it relates to miscarriage. Uh, there's a brand new book to, that comes from our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Uh, from Laura and Franco Fanucci called Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage. Thank you for joining us, Laura and Franco. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. So I, I saw somewhere, and it may have been in the book, it may have been in an interview that I was looking through in preparation for this, that this is your first book together and your last book together. Uh, yes, certainly. <laughs> we have been joking that, yes. That was kind of uh, what got us through finishing writing it, I think, was agreeing that maybe we weren't going to do it again. <laughs> you know, there's different there's different writing styles, there's different a- approaches to, you know, grammar, Oxford comma, things that are of utmost importance. Uh, there's difference in the way that we relate to uh, to our editors and constructive criticism, and to deadlines. To deadline, that's that's ours. We we, uh, Kristen and I respond very differently to deadlines, um, and in the same way, and you you highlight this throughout the book masterfully. There's a different way that we approach grief. It's not an, a singular response, even though we have a common experience of of losing a pregnancy, losing a child. Um, there's a very different way that we approach grief. And sometimes that can be a, a source of uh, conflict, even within the marriage, is this perception that uh, my, either my grief isn't being validated or you're grieving in the wrong way. Absolutely. I think it can be so challenging because, you know, each spouse has suffered a really significant loss, but because of differences in our personality differences in the way that, you know, our friends and family are supporting us, differences in the way that, you know, our culture understands how men grieve and how women grieve. You know, I think couples can really end up on different pages in grief. And that can be a challenge because when you're going through something difficult, you know, you want to support your spouse, you want to understand them, but sometimes it can be really difficult because you are experiencing and expressing your grief in really different ways. You know, I found that often in our in our marriage, um, if I'm having a bad day, somehow, whether it be grace or whether it be uh, just the luck of the draw, she's having a pretty good day and, and can can kind of manage that. And, and vice versa, if if uh, she's having a hard day, I can generally rise to the to the uh, occasion and and be supportive in that and have a good day. But it's different when you're experiencing a loss 
because both of you are really at rock bottom. So talk a little bit about how, how you personally uh, experienced that loss and how you processed through in a way that kept you strong together. I think that for us, it was, we, we knew that it was different afterwards, but we both knew that our, our faith was generally strong and still there. Right. And so even when we responded differently after the loss than we did before, because we were different people, right. And we'd both be having a bad day. We, we could still find a center, right. Um, in that our, in our shared faith. Um, and it didn't mean that we didn't have struggles at times that we didn't question, um, that we weren't angry. Right. But we, we both knew that we could find each other in that place, you know, if we needed to. Mm-hmm. I think too, there's so much about just extending grace to your spouse in grief. I mean, knowing that they're going to have kind of maybe better or okay days and days that are really bad. And if they fly off the handle at you, or if they come home and they're just complaining mm-hmm. about work, it may not be about that bad day. It may be that they're really, you know, grieving hard that day and, and it's coming out in a different way. But I think we learned to really give grace to each other and just to say, you know what, seems like this is this is kind of a tough day for you. Do you maybe need a break? And, you know, I'll put the kids to bed or I'll clean up the kitchen or whatever. Um, to just kind of realize that even though it is really hard when you're both going through something so difficult, that usually... You know, even like you were saying, it may be that you were having kind of an okay day when I was having a really hard day. And so just to be able to give grace to each other there and kind of realize, you know, we sort of, we have to get through this the way that we get through the everyday hard days together too. I would think that being also, um, to have the, the wherewithal to be so vulnerable with one another throughout the process as well. I know that in grief, sometimes there's that tendency to want to shut down. But in this kind of grief, how it's also different, where people don't necessarily understand what it is that you are going through as a couple and and you trying to work through that both as you're working through your own loss, um, but giving each other grace in those vulnerable moments and being vulnerable enough to say, today is bad, and to be able to communicate that way. Absolutely. I mean, I can think of times when I would think, okay, I'm just really having a rough week, but he seems fine. Like what's wrong with me? Why can't I seem to move past this? And when he would open up even just a little, like, you know, my coworker today was talking about this thing and it just reminded me of our baby all over again, like a little entry point like that, even just the smallest openness to vulnerability and honesty, I think sometimes would make me realize oh, he is feeling this too. You know, I might want to talk about it more or process it more, but he's carrying this weight too. And yeah, so sometimes his willingness just, you know, to share a little bit of how he was feeling just felt like such a big relief for me to not feel like it was just me living in my own head with this grief. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's it's part of the the stigma, not the stigma is not the right word, but it's like, I've always felt like, I'm the rock, right? Like it's, it's, I can take care of things and it's been anytime that I, I would try and be intentional about being honest with my emotions when it wasn't, everything's fine and putting up that facade, you know, at times. And it really, it's, it's not easy to be vulnerable, um, certainly, but it's, it's, it always made it better, right? I think to be able to, to have those open and honest discussions and say, Hey, you know what? It isn't good for me right now. And, it's, mm-hmm. and I need help. 
We're talking today with Laura and Franco Fanucci, talking about their book, Grieving Together, available on our Sunday Visitor. Uh, for us, we had a very interesting experience, I think, because um, with our first loss, which was about six years ago, uh, we, we, I think, processed pretty well. And we had some people come around and say the right things uh, and the, the not hurtful things. And we, we went to our priest and he did a, a, the, the right that you mentioned in your book uh, in chapter 10, talking about um, uh, after a miscarriage, you can go to the church and there's this specific ritual that we go through and, and that involves prayer. And, and we uh, had, the name had already been given to the child before the miscarriage. So it wasn't an after the fact with the first loss. Um, and so we had this, I think a really good uh, processing period that, that, we almost felt guilty that it wasn't harder for us. Um, and we thought, oh, yeah, we're, well, we, we grieved really well. We're good. Okay. We, we went through all those steps that they, you know, you say you're supposed to go through and, and now we're done. Yeah. And then, right? and then about, what, four years later, mm-hmm. uh, something happened out of the blue. And it was as if we had never grieved before. And it just hit so hard. Uh, and the, the thought of, well, but we should be through. We, we did this. We, we grieved. Why is this now coming back up? And realizing I think it's important to see grief not as a process, but as uh, a companion that now uh, walks with you through the rest of your life. Oh, I think that's so common. I mean, even just last week at our parish, we helped to host um, a memorial mass for families who had lost children to miscarriage, stillbirth, or infant loss. And we had, you know, fellow parishioners come up to us and say, this loss happened 20, 40 years ago. And I thought I'd grieved this. Like, I thought I was fine. I'd moved on. And and just being part of this ritual tonight reminded me that you never get over it. You know, it's never fully healed. It is, like you said, a companion. In some ways, grief will be with us for the rest of our earthly lives, right? So how can we live with this grief? You know, how can our life build up around it, not just over it or beyond it? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, that is. It is surprising, and it's still surprising how unexpected it is, and you never know when it's going to find you or what's going to see what it is. You think it's a fine day, it's been a fine week, month, year, and then something brings it all right back to the tip of your nose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think for those who have, who have not gone through a miscarriage and uh, they're, they're looking at it from the outside. I think the most important thing uh, that I could think of to pass on as you experience someone who has gone through a loss is to realize that the grief isn't a process that we just need to get them through and, and beyond, but that, that grief is, is okay. And that, that sadness is a a natural part of life. And I think that a lot of those hurtful phrases that you talk about in in the book, uh, and you do such a great job of helping the person who's, who's gone through the loss, see past the words into what the person may be trying to say. Um, But a lot of those things and phrases could even be completely avoided if we allowed ourselves to be uncomfortable with someone else to just go and sit with them in their grief and not have to find the right word to say, just to let the silence sit and uh, be with them in their misery uh, and accompany them as the Holy Spirit accompanies all of us. 
I was thinking about that just the other day. I was reading something about the book of Job and that moment when Job's friend, they just sit with him. Like they just, and they're silent because they realize, you know, there's, there's nothing to say or do in the face of that suffering. I mean, then of course they go on and they do give a lot of words to Job and he gives a lot of words back, but that is such a powerful part of that book when there is that example for us of, you know, just coming and being in that darkness with someone, that darkness of grief and not trying to hurry them out of it or cheer them up or pull them out, you know, but really just sitting in the pit with them, I think is one of the most incredible gifts we can give to another person who's grieving because you know as we say in the book people do want to encourage each other and so many of those cliches or expressions that we use to comfort each other they do come from a place of love but i think realizing that grief is not something to be fixed and not something that you know is you're there's nothing wrong with you because you're grieving it's such like as you say a natural part of life and we will grieve. So can we be with each other in that moment? That's such a powerful comfort that we can give each other. We're talking today with Laura and Franco Fanucci, authors of the book, Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage. Available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. There's more to this conversation right after the break. If you've experienced miscarriage or infant loss, join us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls, come share your story and read the stories of others and know that you are not alone. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to outside the walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, TL, and today we're talking with Laura and Franco Fanucci. They are co-authors of a new book, Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage, available on our Sunday visitor, that's osv.com. I highly recommend it. Uh, pick it up. If you, if you know someone who's gone through a miscarriage, this book will help them. If you have gone through a miscarriage, it's helpful to see you have just numerous amounts of stories, not only your own, but uh, bringing in the stories of others who have gone through miscarriage. And I find it helpful personally to see that I'm not alone in the things that I'm feeling. If you don't know anyone that's gone through miscarriage and you've not gone through it yourself, pick up this book because miscarriage will at some point in time in your life affect you or someone you love and it's helpful to have a, a sense and an understanding of how to respond in these times. Uh, so again, this is uh, Grieving Together on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Please go pick up a copy. Laura Franco, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much for having us on. And of course, we are joined as well by my, my beloved bride, Kristen. Thank you for being here as well. Of course. So talk just a little bit, Kristen, about how you processed very early in, in our miscarriage. Well, one of the things that you mentioned in the last segment that we did was went to our parish priest and went through the prayers after miscarriage. And one of the verses that stood out to me from that rite, if it's called a rite, um, was from Lamentations 3. And I had always heard this verse before saying, the mercies of the Lord are never ending and they're new every morning. 
But in the way that it was written in the right, it was the favors of the Lord are not exhausted. And, you know, you're in that moment of loss and you're thinking, is this it? Are we done? You know, we were blessed to have three children already by the time we had our loss. But there's that thought of, am I never going to be able to get pregnant again? Is it over? Are we done? And in that moment, thinking the favors of the Lord are not exhausted, it wasn't a promise that we're going to get pregnant again, but it was so encouraging in that moment. And I actually had a friend make some jewelry that had that on there. And then we had these little um, stamped things that had the dates that that they were conceived, I believe. So their, their moment of coming into existence um, on that necklace. And that was one way that helped me process it and, and remember as well. You talk a little bit in the back of your book, uh, Laura and Franco, about various ways that a, a couple can can process. Uh, and of course, there's no right way, but there are many ways that that can be helpful. And one that you mentioned in the book and you mentioned here in the last segment was this service at the church. And you helped organize one recently. Talk a little bit about that and and what someone else might do to bring that to their parish. Yeah, so we had helped um, just this past week to organize what um, we call in the book uh, a mass for God's children, which is um, a memorial mass for children who have been lost either before birth or maybe shortly after birth. Um, and we, in our research, had come across several dioceses and archdioceses in the U.S. that offered this kind of annual memorial mass for families, you know, often, especially in an early miscarriage, you know, the, the couple may not have had a funeral mass said for their child. Many people don't know that that is an option, that there are options in the funeral rite um, for babies who, you know, have died from miscarriage or died before birth. So, you know, people have really found it meaningful to have these memorial masses offered for these children and and you know celebrated by their families as a way to remember children that may not have had a funeral that may not have you know a grave where the parents can go visit and we had gone to a mass like this uh, in the year after our twin daughters were born prematurely and lived only a few days and we found that to be really healing for our family so we wanted to bring that to our parish as well um how would how would someone like me or someone in our listening audience go about approaching their priest to have something like this offered where they are? Sure. Really. We just, we just asked, honestly, and it was like, it, it, it sounds easy. And we had a really receptive, I think, um, ministers at our church um, with both the priest and the people that helped arrange the mass in the appendix, there's a, a good sample of how to do it and um, some rites and prayers and so that really helped, I think, lay the groundwork where you could say it wasn't just, hey, this is a cool idea we have. It was like, hey, this is something we'd like. This is why it's meaningful. And and here's a way that it's been done and been well-received, I think, is really what worked out. And then we're, we were lucky that the they kind of took it around with it. You know, they it's a lot of good ideas and they worked out. So. What was beautiful, too, was that it was something where we, you know, invited parishioners from churches in the area. So it wasn't just our parish and it was amazing to see like i said we had couples who came and had buried their children you know 40 almost 50 years ago yeah. and then some who had just experienced a loss in the last few weeks but our priest invited each family as they went up to say the child's name and to light a candle from the easter candle for them he actually invited each of them if they wanted to share a little bit about their experience and he hadn't told us in advance he was going to do this and so we were 
I was thinking, oh no, you're going to put people on the spot. But yeah. it was so beautiful. So people shared even just a, a few words of love about their children. And that, it, it was such a holy space of prayer and community that that opportunity to share their stories gave to us. I think it's incredibly helpful that not only you guys have this idea in your book, but that you have those samples. You have all of these details of, of ways that you can grieve or things you can do, but also you are so careful to make sure that you're saying this, there is no one right way to do this. And, and I love that you open it up that way while still being pretty specific in some of your examples. Yeah. And I think that was also, it's, it's part of the reason we wanted to have so many stories from different couples in the book. We wanted everybody to, to be able to find part of their story in a story in the book, right? Because everybody's experiences with a loss are so different, right? And so you can hear a story and say, oh, that's not what happened to me. And so we really wanted to try and find a lot of different stories, right? So that you could find parts of your story in, in somebody's to know that you're not alone. In Speaking of the fact that there are so many different ways to grieve, th there's two, I think, connected ideas. Uh, one is that, um, well, acknowledging that no one grieves the same way. Uh, and the second is thinking, well, I've gone through miscarriage. And so I understand what someone else going through miscarriage is going through. But every situation, not only every couple grieves differently, every situation is different, uh, whether it's miscarriage or it's um, the uh, a miscarriage uh, after several, or if it's uh, a, a, a stillborn or if it, all of these different scenarios um, are going to affect the different people differently. Uh, and so I think it's, it's wonderful uh, that you have it in the book. I think it's very important for us to realize that um, there's no sense of, okay, I'm a part of the club now. And so I can, uh, I can understand everything. I think that coming with that vulnerability and that, uh, that um, humility to say, this is what I experienced. Let me sit with you in what you're experiencing now, because even you, you've gone through miscarriage and through uh, infant loss as well. And that I, from my end, feel like that would be a completely different way of processing the grief. It was absolutely. And, and we were aware too. I mean, we had living children before our miscarriage and we've since gone on to have another child. And so we were so aware that that is not what happens with many couples, you know? So I was really passionate about getting stories from couples in the book that have not gone on to have living children and that, you know, some who have not had living children at all. So, you know, from the world's perspective, they're not parents, they're childless. Well, in fact, they, they've had many children and the world doesn't see that, but our church can affirm that our church understands you know, the, the unique and beautiful souls of those children. So I think we felt like, yes, we've had these particular instances of loss. Um, but to be able to say, you know, here's a wide variety, not only of experiences, but of ways that people have grieved. I mean, in those stories, there's, you know, some, some people got angry, some got frustrated, some could talk it out and some couldn't talk about it at all with their spouse. Um, some seemed to be really at peace. Some were really angry at the church for different reasons. You know, if they felt like they're, they weren't being ministered to. So we wanted to just offer all these stories as a way of saying, you know, loss looks so different. And yet I think there is a deep 
connection that parents who have gone through these kinds of losses feel. And I, I know we've experienced that just even, you know, talking with perfect mm -hmm. strangers sometimes that we have a been able to connect with, you realize, wow, even though our stories are maybe quite different on the surface, to know that we're some of the people who are, you know, walking around carrying things that the world will never see. I think there's a deep connection in that that really can be the birthplace of great compassion and empathy for each other. I remember going to the store uh, shortly after our loss, and I think it was the first time I had left the house. And um, I remember walking around and what you were talking about, carrying something that the world can't see. And I felt so different than I had been in that same store before. Um, but it is, there is such comfort knowing that there are others who understand that as well in their own way. And looking around and feeling the grief and thinking, uh, nobody else gets it. <laughs> you know, looking around the store and saying, these people, they're, they're just oblivious and none of them get it. And yet... Some very, of them may have been going through the right. same thing for all I knew. <laughs> there seems to be such a stigma that we can't talk about this and talk about infant loss. And maybe it's because we're guarding ourselves from, uh, from insensitive statements, or maybe there's just a cultural sense that this is not... Um, this is uncomfortable and we don't want to bring it to the light. But what would you say uh, real briefly in these last couple of minutes, what would you say to someone uh, that's gone through that loss of how to, um, how to process, how to, to put it out in the open? Sure. I mean, at first it's, it's, you are not alone, right? Um, certainly it's, and I know that it, it feels like that. And certainly I think when we were first at the hospital going through this, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. I, you know, how do I even get my bearings, find my footing? And then it seems like when we were able to say, this has happened, when I was able to go in the office and say, my wife had a miscarriage, that's why I just ran out of here yesterday, you know, it, it opened the door and it, it opened the door for people to say, I've had a miscarriage too, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and not everybody did, right? But there were so many people, I remember thinking a week or two after, I was like, boy, it seems like people are coming out of the woodwork. Why didn't yeah. we know these stories before? You know, and so I think it, 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 it was it's always scary to be vulnerable and open up and say, this has happened to me, but it's so often you, you, you draw those stories out of others, right? And you find a connection. And that was really, really helpful for me. Anyhow, I think just to be able to, to name it. Right. And, and there were days when I didn't want to talk about it and I wouldn't, right. You know, and there are other days I, I've told Laura more than once, you know, like, Somebody got a half hour of Franco grieving today at the office that they weren't expecting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's, but it is. And I think it's, it's, it was, and you, you find, yeah, you just find stories and the more that you can name it, say it, remember it, um, any, any way that, you know, you can put it out there is really, um, it helps to draw the stories out and gives other people the chance to be empathetic. I think, you know, because if they don't know, right, if, if they're in the grocery store next to you and they don't know, then they can't lend a hand. We've been talking today with Laura and Franco Finucci, authors of the new book, Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage, available on our Sunday visitor. That's OSV.com. If you've experienced miscarriage or infant loss, know that you are not alone. We'll be sharing some snippets of our story over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Come and share your story as well and let others know that it's not taboo to grieve the loss. 
We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We've been talking today about miscarriage. I saw this book come across my desk uh, recently, Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage by Laura and Franco Fanucci, available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. And the moment I opened the book, uh, I knew it was one that I wanted to talk about. And um, it's one of those things that I think is such an important topic that doesn't get brought to the light very often. Uh, We don't talk about it. And yet we as Catholics believe that life begins at conception, that that, uh, we are cooperators with God in creation by making this new life, and that life occurs at the moment of conception. Uh, and, And that life is no less a life than any other life. Uh, we see it very often in, in Catholic communities that we're very pro-life, and so we have very definite opinions about abortion. And so we participate in 40 Days for Life, and we go out and we uh, have all of these, uh, the March for Life and whatever else it is, that we participate in, in upholding the sanctity of life from the moment of conception. And yet, um, when it comes to miscarriage, when it comes to infant loss, there is a, a secret sorrow uh, that we don't we don't publicize it, and I, I don't know precisely what that is or or why that is, um, but I'm tired of it. As a as a father of two children who have been born into heaven, I want their life to be recognized. If you missed any part of the show, or you want to share it with someone else, go over to outsidethewalls.com. All the archives are available, including this episode. Share it on social media, spread it around, and while you're on social media, come over to our page, uh, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle is at outsidethewalls, and share your story of miscarriage or infant loss, whether that be just uh, posting the name and and date of their birth into heaven, uh, or if you want to share a larger portion of your story, please feel free to come and share that so that those who are around you who are also grieving, would know that they're not alone. There is more to my conversation with Laura and Franco Fanucci, uh, as always, to those who support the show through Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you get access to all the extra segments each week that we produce with our guests. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join the numbers of those who keep us on the air through their support. Let's turn our attention now to our readings from Scripture and church history, and they are so on point today. Our reading from Scripture comes from the book of Romans chapter 5, and uh, in the middle of the episode, Kristen and I talked about uh, one of the things that was comforting to us was the idea that our, our child who has miscarried might be a saint in heaven praying for us. Now, the church doesn't have a defined doctrine on what happens to the souls of those children who, who were unborn, who were not baptized. The church does have a doctrine on the importance of baptism, the extreme importance of baptism for those children who are born, uh, but the official position of the church regarding unborn children who are unbaptized is that we entrust them to the mercy of God, and we hope 
we have hope that he has brought them to himself. And so today's scripture folds right into that and says, brothers and sisters, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For Christ, while we were still helpless, died at the appointed time for the ungodly. Indeed, only with difficulty does one die for a just person, though perhaps for a good person one might even find the courage to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we are now justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath? Indeed, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, how much more, once reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Not only that, but we also boast of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. That reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5. Our reading from church history comes from a sermon by St. Augustine. Let us sing Alleluia here on earth while we still live in anxiety, so that we may sing it one day in heaven in full security. Why do we now live in anxiety? Can you expect me not to feel anxious when I read, Is not man's life on earth a time of trial? Can you expect me not to feel anxious when the words still ring in my ears, watch and pray that you will not be put to the test? Can you expect me not to feel anxious when there are so many temptations here below that prayer itself reminds us of them when we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Every day we make out petitions. Every day we sin. Do you want me to feel secure when I am daily asking pardon for my sins and requesting help in time of trial? Because of my past sins, I pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then, because of the perils still before me, I immediately go on to add, lead us not into temptation. How can all be well with people who are crying out with me, deliver us from evil? And yet, brothers... While we are still in the midst of this evil, let us sing Alleluia to the good God who delivers us from evil. Even here amidst trials and temptations, let us, let all men sing Alleluia. God is faithful, says Holy Scripture, and he will not allow you to be tried beyond your strength. So let us sing Alleluia even here on earth. Man is still a debtor. But God is faithful. Scripture does not say that he will not allow you to be tried, but that he will not allow you to be tried beyond your strength. Whatever the trial, he will see you through it safely, and so enable you to endure. You have entered upon a time of trial, but you will come to no harm. God's help will bring you through it safely. You were like a piece of pottery, shaped by instruction, fired by tribulation. When you are put into the oven, therefore, keep your thoughts on the time when you will be taken out again. For God is faithful, and he will guard both your going in and your coming out. But in the next life, when this body of ours has become immortal and incorruptible, then all trials will be over. 
Your body is indeed dead. And why? Because of sin. Nevertheless, your spirit lives because you have been justified. Are we to leave our dead bodies behind then? By no means. Listen to the words of Scripture. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells within you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. At present, your body receives its life from the soul, but then it will receive it from the spirit. Oh, the happiness of the heavenly alleluia, sung in security, in fear of no adversity. We shall have no enemies in heaven. We shall never lose a friend. God's praises are sung both there and here, but here they are sung by those destined to die. There, by those destined to live forever. Here they are sung in hope, there in hope's fulfillment. Here they are sung by wayfarers, there by those living in their own country. So then, my brothers, let us sing now, not in order to enjoy a life of leisure, but in order to lighten our labors. You should sing as wayfarers do. Sing but continue your journey. Do not be lazy, but sing to make your journey more enjoyable. Sing, but keep going. What do I mean by keep going? Keep on making progress. This progress, however, must be in virtue. For there are some, the apostle warns, whose only progress is in vice. If you make progress, you will be continuing your journey. But be sure that your progress is in virtue true faith, and right living. Sing then, but keep going. That reading comes from a homily by St. Augustine. What stands out to me the most there is probably not immediately uh, obvious, Uh, but he says, let us sing Alleluia to the good God who delivers us from evil. Alleluia is a, a word that specifically means to foolishly clamor. So you, you t- tend to think of it as um, what you would do at a football game, right? You, that's, that's the kind of foolish clamoring when directed toward God that, that you tend to think of as being the word alleluia. But I recall a time that I first learned about a more somber alleluia, and it was in the midst of tragedy where we sang praise to God anyway. And it didn't look to be very uh, loud or very uh, boisterous, but it was still foolishly clamoring because here we were putting our trust in God and singing praise to God in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of overwhelming trial. And so to me, as I look at that, uh, as we as we sing praise to God in the midst of trial, as we still put our trust in God in the midst of trial, we're joining into that alleluia. It doesn't make any sense in the midst of that tragedy Uh, to be turning and giving praise to God. And yet we have faith and hope that he has redeemed us and will redeem the whole cosmos. We're living between the already and the not yet, but the not yet is coming. Christ is coming. And that's what we celebrate this season of Advent. Today's show is brought to you by Paige and Kent Keithley and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.